<laughs> hey, we're so glad you're here. My name is Ben. Welcome to Four Corners. And like Pastors Matt and Greg said, we're finishing our Family Feud message series. And the whole point all the way through this is that your family's worth fighting for. Your family is worth fighting for. It was June 16, 1858, and at the Illinois State House, Abraham Lincoln stood to deliver a speech. He wanted to differentiate himself between his position and, and, and his opponent's position, and he delivers a speech, and he used a line in this speech that has become synonymous with him and his leadership. Let me read for you the couple of sentences that he used and see if you can't pick out the important line. Here's what he says. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And he continues and says, I believe this government cannot endure permanently, half slave, half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect that the house will fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Family unity is a very important dynamic, and yet it's elusive. It's a challenge. I can't tell you the number of couples I've sat with, and one or the other has said something like this, almost always to the exact phrase. I feel like we can't get on the same page. I feel like we can't get on the same page. When it comes to money, we can't get on the same page. When it comes to our intimacy and our time together, can't get on the same page. When it comes to parenting, can't get on the same page. When it comes to religion, can't get on the same page. A lot of times when I used to do a whole lot more counseling than I do now, I'd ask the very simple question, what page? Where is the page? I mean, is there a page and you have one and he has one or you have one and she has one? Or is it just a feeling that you don't quite connect? Usually, it's just a feeling. And, and it goes to the heart of what I want to share with you today from God's Word, some very practical advice about family unity. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus today, I want to let you know right out of the bag that a lot of things I'm going to share really aren't optional for us. They're just, they're just not. These are priorities that God gives His people, His followers today. And He says, look, if I'm the Lord of your life, these are things, because they're important to me, they need to be important to you. If you're not yet following Jesus, aren't sure about the whole faith thing, aren't sure about the whole church thing, hey, we're glad you're here. We, in lot, to a large degree, designed this church to help you find a place where you could safely explore what a relationship with God might look like for you. And you may get a lot of practical benefit today. But for those of us who are following Jesus, we're ripping from God's Word today principles and just practical application, the most practical I can find, to help us literally get on the same page on the same page. Now listen, if, if you're not married and, and you're just a part of a broader family, you know, the same principles apply. If you're a student in the room today and, and you know, you're not yet married, um, then what I'm talking about today has to still do with your involvement in your larger family, all right? Now, before we jump into the specifics, I, w- I want to let you know that when Abraham Lincoln gave that speech, he didn't just pull that out of thin air. That comes directly to us from the words of Jesus. Jesus is the one that said, A house divided against itself cannot stand. He said that in three of the books of the Bible called Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record Jesus making this statement. And he was simply acknowledging a very simple principle 
a very honest, transparent principle that applies in every situation, that when people aren't on the same page, it's very difficult to move forward together. And if you've been in any relationship at all for any length of time, a friendship, parent to child, husband, wife, you know the challenge of what it is to walk together, how hard that can be. Because people are messy, and we have our own opinions, we have our own personalities. When my kids were very young, I could largely tell them what to do. We could be very directed in our parenting. And then all of a sudden, they started growing up and getting their own personality, and they had their own opinion. And somebody taught my child this horrible, nasty word, no. And she used it over and over and over again. I, I want to find that person and, and beat them or something like that. But um, it's very difficult sometimes to just walk together. When, when um, we're, Christmas time is coming up, and, and my family, we like to go out and shop together like you guys do. And, and we were, my wife's very musically talented and sings well, plays the piano and stuff. And so um, each of my kids, to some degree, have dabbled a bit in music. And I remember going to a music store once, and, and they have all these instruments out on display. And um, so I had, we have Ellen, our older uh, daughter, and then my, my younger sons. And um, I looked around. The store wasn't too busy. And, and so I let my boys, like, pick up the, uh, the drumsticks. And there were two or three drum sets out there. And they're kind of, you know, banging. One, one's doing it. Of course, one does it. They all got to do it. So they're... And, and, and very quickly, this kind of quiet, serene music store environment turned into a cacophony of demonically inspired um, music. And um, what was interesting to me, the thing that stands out in my mind, is not just the, the, the memory of that, it was kind of cute, but the thing that stands out to me it was is that, you know, my sons weren't talented at all, didn't know how to play, but that wasn't the only thing contributing to this just disunity, this disharmony at work. They were each kind of playing their own tune in the same environment, in the same environment, each, each person playing their own tune in the same environment. Now, this doesn't just happen in families, does it? You might work in an environment, you might be at an office environment where there isn't a whole lot of direction. People aren't walking in the, in the same direction. There isn't a, lot, a clear mission or vision that's, that's guiding people. And so what happens is, is that you have sometimes very talented people, not like my sons, who are in and of themselves incredibly talented, gifted, know what they're doing, skilled. But they're not partnering with anybody else. And over here you have another completely talented individual who has insight and wisdom different than this person, and they're playing their own tune. And rather than the individual talents contributing to each other and bringing harmony to each other, they're pulling in different directions. Happens in offices. Happens in homes. So God comes to us and he says, here's my vision for family. I'm going to give you enough in my word to understand family, what I want from it, what I want for you in your family, so that we don't end up with that scenario of individually talented, gifted, valuable people playing their own song in the same environment. Because when that happens, it's chaos. Instead, I want each individual person playing their part so that rather than being chaos, it looks more like a symphony. With the grand conductor, in this case, God telling us what role, what part we're to play. And when we play that thing to the best of our ability, it brings about a beauty. It brings about a harmony. It brings about a melody in our homes. And this isn't just flowery language to try to make us feel good or put us on a platitude. This is exactly what Jesus had in mind. When he started the family, it's what God had in mind when he started a church that individual people with their own talents, insights, abilities, 
perspectives, personalities, goals and ambitions, challenges and weaknesses would come together and as each of them submitted to a bigger vision, God would do something profound in it. That's why God looks at men in a marriage and says to them, you need to lay down your life, put down your goals and agenda, and elevate loving and serving your wife. And then he looks at women and he says, and, and you ladies in a marriage, you need to lay down your solo ambition, your solo agenda, and join together with your husband. And for you, it looks like respect your husband. And each individual person submitting to the larger vision that God has. When that happens, you've seen it on occasion. It's a beautiful thing to watch when a family walks in harmony, when a marriage operates in harmony. And I bet you've seen the other side. When there isn't harmony, <laughs> when there isn't unity, and where it's just like the noise created by my three boys banging their drums with minimal talent, with completely different melodies in their head in that small environment at that music store. So Jesus, in various places, begins to talk about unity. In fact, one of those is in Luke chapter 11, verse 17. He was in an environment where people were trying to trap him, and they were attributing his good intentions to the enemy, to the devil. And Jesus uses this phrase just as a way to illustrate how important unity is and how special it is. He says, Jesus knows their thoughts, Luke says, and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself cannot stand. That's where Abraham Lincoln pulled that famous line from. That, that eventually, if there's a lot of disunity, what's going to happen? The whole thing's going to crumble. The psalmist, kind of writing in a poetic way, he said it this way. In Psalm 133.1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. He didn't mean simply brothers, but families. When, when, when people who band together live together in unity. And all the way back at the beginning of family, at the core of its mission statement in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, here's what the writer tells us. Therefore, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they, the two, shall become one flesh. At the core of the mission statement of marriage and family is this unity. And yet unity is very difficult. It's challenging. It's fleeting. You have it one moment and it's gone the next. And let me tell you one of the challenges of unity that, that makes it especially difficult. It's that unity in and of itself is a hard goal to reach. It's a very complex um, to achieve goal. There's, there's a lot of inputs required before you get the output of unity. It's, it's not like you can sit down with your wife or with your husband or with your kids and say, our goal today is unity. So today, let's go out and be unified. It doesn't quite work that way. It's a complex goal that requires a certain amount of pulling apart the pieces and, and honest investigation to see if we can hit it. Now, even though it's complex, it's important, and I bet without me even building a case, you know the challenges, you've seen it up close, maybe you've experienced it personally, maybe it happened to a friend you love, you've seen the damaging effects when marriages and families don't have unity. So rather than spending a lot of time trying to convince you that we need unity in our, in our homes, 
I want to show you some of the things that I think God's word indicates to us are ingredients to the output of unity. So it's very difficult to say, let's be unified and then actually create unity. Instead, there are four or five things that we can do that are likely to produce unity in our homes. And each one of these things is a challenge in and of itself. Right? And they're not the exhaustive list. They're just four or five things that, as I prayerfully considered our church and where I thought that maybe God would like us to go through the holidays in our own individual homes, these are the four or five things that kind of came to the top for me, all right? So we're just calling this five biblical observations to get on the same page. I mean, if the challenge in your home and the challenge in your friend's home and the challenge in your child's home is that you can't get on the same page, then maybe we should spend a little bit of time identifying the page. And on that page, there are four or five key indicators I want to draw your attention to in hopes that they will produce for us unity. All right, so it kind of looks like this, this little picture right here with the, with the blanks on it. Unity in families. What are the four or five things that are likely to yield to unity in our family? Here's something I observed before I get to number one. That most of the happy families you know, <laughs> they resemble one another. I mean, they have different people, different time, different place, different geography. But in general, the same dynamics are happening in all the families that you and I would look at and say, they're happy. They get it. They're walking in unity. There's a specialness there. And on the other side, I've discovered that unhappy families, there's a lot of diversity there. There's a thousand ways to be unhappy in your family. There are a thousand inputs can cause you to feel like our family just isn't clicking. But it's not true on the other side of the equation. There's five, six, seven key dynamics. Right? So here, here's just a few of those. Number one, for unities and families, I think that for those of us that are calling Jesus Lord and want to walk in our lives with him, the idea of our biblical role in the house, the biblical role that we're to play, the role that we fill in the home. Now, don't get your guard up, ladies or men. I'm not talking about resorting to some kind of a of a hierarchical structure in the home where one is boss and the other is servant, and when that happens, everything's in harmony. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about you guys as a husband and wife or you as parents to children identifying what is the role I'm to play in this home and what is the role you're to play in this home so that together we know what to expect from each other. When it comes to intimacy, for instance, something that God takes very seriously in the family. Intimacy between parents and children at the level of connection that they have so that the hearts are fully made known to each other and people are fully loved and embraced and and deeper into the marriage relationship, including sexual intimacy. Sometimes the challenge literally is, is what role am I, who's going to initiate? Who's going to start the conversation? Who's going to take the risk to ask the hard question? the, The role you play in your home is vitally important. And harmony can't happen until you have an understanding of your role and you accept your role to some degree. And each other person then understands and accepts his role or her role. And as believers, God doesn't leave us in the dark about this. He talks all through the pages of the Bible in principle form, in story form, in examples, and sometimes in explicit do this, don't do this kind of language. God tells us a little bit about the, about the roles that we're supposed to play. One of the ones that has been getting a lot of traction in my life is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. 
In fact, almost all year long when I've referenced husbands and wives, this has been a guiding principle. And I just want to share it with you. And you can do, like Jill and I do from time to time, just do a quick gut check. Is this typical role that God says believers should be engaging, is this thing happening in our home? All right? Won't be surprised to you if you've been around here. The language might sound familiar. Here's what it says. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife. He's talking to men. As he loves himself. So Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this letter to the church, he says, Men, each of you needs to love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love, respect. Now, I don't want to make a hard and fast rule about this, but there's a general principle I've observed. It's been true in our marriage. It's been true in a lot of you that I've chatted with. It's been true in my ministry experience for the last 20 years. That women, when you ask them what they want out of their marriage, most of them will say, I just want to know that he loves me. I want him to treat me like he loves me. I, I want to know at the end of the day that I have that special place in his heart. And when you ask men, especially older men who are kind of past the, the romantic um, honeymoon stage of their stuff, and you say, what, what do you want most from your wife? A lot of them will use language that begins to sound like, I just want her to respect me, respect me as a person, respect my ideas, respect to some degree that, that I am a leader, not the only leader, but I am a leader in our home. Love and respect. And so when Jill and I begin to get out of sorts and our home begins to metaphorically sound like that music store where each of my boys played their own song, one of the questions we come back to is, is look, are you feeling loved by me? I mean, are my actions, my words, are they producing in you a sense that I love you, that you're valued by me, that you're, you're my number one priority? I mean, outside of my relationship with Jesus, you're it for me? And then when she takes time to ask me, Am I respecting you? Do you feel respected? Do you believe that when you talk, I want to hear you? What we're finding is that unity is not a function of everyone doing the same thing. Not at all. Unity is everyone doing different things towards the same goal. She does her thing. I do mine. The kids do theirs. But we have a page we have a mission, we have a goal that we're operating towards. Let me just ask you, you ever felt like you're not on the same page with your spouse, with your parents, with your friends? It could be that taking time to define the page, literally pulling out a blank sheet of paper and writing down a few principles would go a long way for you. And I believe as followers of Jesus, we should open up God's word and go to those principal passages that speak to, in my case with my wife, husband and wife, <laughs> and as parents, to, to how parents are supposed to lead and help develop and then ultimately release and encourage their children. If you don't feel like you're on the same page, why not pull out the blank page and begin to fill it with principles? For us, understanding our role in the home is essential to us experiencing unity. No matter how many other good things are going on in our home, if I'm not getting what I need, if my wife doesn't get what she needs, and especially if God said these are legitimate needs, it's just very difficult for, for us to experience. Some of you, I think, honestly, you're a couple of clarifying conversations away with a blank paper in front of you saying, what do you need from me for you to feel, to, for you to feel loved in our home? You write those things down. And then on occasion, when you're feeling like you're not on the same page, you come together and you say, what is our page? What does God tell us our page should be? And so men, for us, you know, it looks an awful lot like making sure in our words, in our tone, 
in our actions that our wives feel like they are the number one priority. Not our friends, not our hobby, not our work, not our rest, not our play, but that person. And not just what she can provide for us, but her very essence, her soul, her heart. And so discovering what's in her heart and listening, making sure she knows that she's heard and she can get your attention, that you notice her. And ladies, for us men, in similar fashion, we want to know that we can get your attention. That when we speak, we don't have to build a case to make you believe that what we're saying is important. Simply because you're married to us, what we say is important. And you don't discount us or nod your head and then go do your own thing. That feels incredibly disrespectful. And so if respect and if love and serving one another and submitting to the common good is the page we're going to get on, then it gets a whole lot easier to have an honest conversation about how we're doing. I have found that it's very difficult to walk in unity in a family without an understanding of roles. And as followers of Jesus, I would say biblically inspired, biblically informed roles. Let me give you another one. Just kind of ingredients for unity. Shared goals. Shared goals. What, What are we going to do? What do we want to accomplish together? What are the principles guiding us? Not just what role do we play, but what are the principles guiding us? One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. It's Joshua standing in the place of decision about whether or not he and his family are going to do one thing versus another. And he's weighing the opportunities, weighing the challenge in front of him. And he utters some powerful words that I think are are guiding phrases for those of us that want our families to be in unity. And the way he says it is just powerful. And it shows that he gets this this powerful principle of what unity can do and how life-giving unity can be. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, he says these words. Talking to the entire nation of Israel, as the leader, he stands in front of them and he says, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. Whether the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors served before the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Then then this key phrase. But as for me and my house, you know, as we chatted about it, as we're going to commit to do as a group, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's a high priority in our family. You guys do what you want. Bless you. I encourage you. Do whatever you want to do. Good for you. But for us, we're going to serve the Lord. And that simple statement of, in our family, the Lord is a priority. In our family, we're going to submit ourselves to his leadership. That's what serving the Lord means. That's a clarifying, conflict-reducing, energy-producing kind of goal. It helps people to get on the same known page. So for Jill and I, at various moments in our marriage, especially when we come to challenging times, times of decision, we've had to look at each other and say, I don't know what everybody else is going to do. But for me and you, for ours, we're going to try to follow God the best we know how right here. And we're going to walk humbly in submission to his leadership. 
That has a a thousand implications. But what it does in that moment is it shows me I have a partner walking with me. A lot of times I'll say to her, I know it's hard right now, and I'm really struggling doing this, but I think God's been pretty clear. So let's stay the course. And sometimes, honestly, we have to say, I think God's been pretty clear, and I'm not clearly there, so I need to make some changes. Would you be patient with me as I try to make Jesus the Lord in this situation? It's literally about defining the page and then asking, are we both on it? We are finding in our home, in our parenting, in our relationships, that unity is not everybody agreeing on everything. We have wildly different opinions. My wife is incredibly bright, articulate, educated, has a thousand ideas. Now, it's not about us agreeing on everything. It's about everyone in the family agreeing on the few top priorities. So in our house, it's Jesus is Lord. And that brings an awful lot of incredible clarity to our situations. And when we get into a period of time when we feel a little distant or there's a little extra conflict in our home, literally pulling out the paper and saying, remember, one of our top priorities is Jesus is the Lord of this home, and he's the Lord of this marriage, and he's the Lord of every particular part of us. It makes the conversation much more clarifying and easy and productive. So, roles, goals, let me give you the next one. I think unity in family involves an awful lot of playing together. A lot of playing together. Let me share with you a little tidbit, parents, of teenagers. You want to make sure that your teenagers want to come home? That they want to spend time with you as they get to be an adult and into college? Lots of studies have shown that the clearest indicator of the kids who want to come home and do come home and jump through hoops to make sure they spend time with their parents as they become an adult are the homes where there was a lot of laughter and play. A lot of laughter and play. Everybody likes to have a good time. Homes where there's a lot of conflict and arguing and there's always tension in the home, it's very difficult to encourage those becoming adult people to want to come back home. But where there's a lot of laughter and a lot of play together, and you might want to know, followers of Jesus, this isn't just like pop psychology and me trying to make Jesus your life coach. I think God, the Lord of the universe, looked at us and in the pages of of his word he said, I'm going to help families that want to do it right, that want to live right, that want to have that sense of unity and harmony. I'm going to help them. I'm going to give them hints in my word, sometimes very clear teaching in my word of how to make this happen. It's all through the book of Proverbs. There's all kinds of teaching about what laughter and a merry heart does for a person and what it does in a family. My favorite passage is in Genesis chapter 26 that talks about this. Isaac and Rebekah found themselves in a conflict where there was just a lot of danger. And so to protect his wife, Isaac says of his wife, that's not my wife, that's my sister. And hopes that the king of the area wouldn't feel compelled to kill Isaac so he could have his wife. Instead, he'd just kind of take his sister away and eventually Isaac would have time to scheme a way to get her back and that's exactly what happens in your Bible you can read all about it it's a fascinating story but for our purposes here's the one verse Genesis chapter 26 verse 8 it says this that when Isaac had been there for a long time Abimelech the king of the Philistines looked down from a window and saw Isaac sporting with his wife Rebekah he was sporting with her He's playing with her. I mean, they were having a good time. There was laughter. It, it, it indicates, you know, that he was really, really being flirtatious with her. And just the nature of their demographic, 
The king who thought it was his sister looks down and says, wait, wait, he's not treating her like a sister. Could that be odd? They're having way too good a time and they're a little too frisky with each other. Something else is going on here. And the way they communicated with each other, the way they interacted with each other, it, it helped define the relationship. Let me ask you something. How much laughter is happening in your home? I, I, listen, I know it doesn't sound all that spiritual on the surface. But joy, not simply happiness, but joy, the kind of togetherness, and, and, and when I'm with you, you fill my cupness, that happens even when there are challenges in home, that is directly from God. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy. How much joy is there in your home? And if it's not there, this is a place you can begin to lean down on. We're rediscovering family game night. And over the last couple of weeks, we've had about 10 of them. 10, 15, 20 minutes at a time. And the sense of just being together and laughing and having a good time, it changes the tone. and The, the out-of-sync drum playing by each of the kids begins to, to get in harmony. And it makes a huge difference in just the tone and the experience we have with one another. What we're finding is that unity is not everybody loving the same activity because we're wildly diverse in our, in our enjoyment and what we like to do and what video games and what movies and what activities when we have free time. But it's everybody enjoying the activities together. It's saying, look, on occasion we're going to do it your way, on occasion we're going to do it my way, but the fun here is we're doing it together as best we can. And if this hasn't been a pattern in your family, it may take a while. I think this is worth fighting for in your family. The laugh factor. I think you can get on the same page here. You can literally, with your wife, with your parents, if you're a teenager, you can help lead this. Here's our paper. I want us to schedule some fun. And listen, I think this is close to the heart of God. I think this is what he wants. He designed families in part so that you can enjoy life together. And parents, your investment here of just your time and energy and smile with your kids. It's at dinner saying, not how was your day, which all my kids know the answer to that, fine, right? It's tell me about your day. What was your favorite part? Did you laugh today? Those are important conversations, and they're deeply spiritual because they help you then create an environment when you have something important you want to say, that you want to be heard, where there's ease and where where laughter has greased the wheels of the relationship. It's just easier to do that. I don't know how you decide unity is going to be a goal, and then boom, you make it happen. But I know that when you start paying attention to the role you play and the importance of your role in the family, and when you start having some shared goals, when you start playing together, and, then, and number four, when you start working together, unity's much more likely to happen. Much more likely to happen. Now, working together, the Bible puts high value on this. Of you individually working and me individually working, that's important. But coming together to do something bigger than any one of us could do on our own, that's central to the mission of the church. And it's central to your family. We have, we have a lot of single parents in our church, and, and my next few comments aren't in any way to put you down. In fact, you have the deepest places of sympathy and compassion in my heart for you. Because it's hard being a single mom or a single dad. I, I, I know how hard it is for me, and I've never been in that case. It's hard. You have our prayers. 
It's one of the reasons why, and you know this more than anybody else, so don't, don't, don't get your feelings hurt here. It's one of the reasons why God said a man and a woman coming together to raise children together. I know that's not always possible. But that's what God wanted because of just the challenge. And what the two can do together, it's, it's easier when they walk in harmony. To do that incredibly different, difficult task of helping develop mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally a child so that one day that child can be released into the world to pursue God fully on his own or on her own. It's two people coming together to do something. The book of Ecclesiastes in your Bible talks about this. It says that two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. That's why we like you to get in small groups and get to know people. But then the Bible says, but pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them. It's just it's a hard place to be. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep each other warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though he may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And if you grow into three people, a cord of three strands, that's not hard. I mean, you can't break that. It's very difficult. It's not easily broken. Just the power of doing things together, doing life together. Not multiple people with the same address doing their own thing, but carving out time. Carving out time. Literally pulling out a blank piece of paper and saying, over the next three months, when are we going to do this project together? I'm not suggesting you can do it every day, but I bet you could go back over the last year and discover times you did it or didn't do it. And you could have an honest conversation about whether or not this is something important for you and your family. And you could begin to get on the same page. Here's what we're finding in our home, that unity is not everyone doing the same thing. It's everyone doing his or her part to accomplish the work we all agreed to. So yesterday, Jill's family was coming over for Thanksgiving. And... Um, my daughter uh, came in town, which is just awesome, you know, if I feel, if I seem a little extra happy today, because I'm always happier when my daughter's in town, and, and the house wasn't fully done, and so we had to clean, and so we're sitting at the lunch table together, and my daughter says, I want to see this movie, and uh, which of you boys want to go with me? And so it's her brothers, and they know that it's either the movies or work. And you know what they said? We're going to stay home and help clean. Now, I know my kids are weird. Listen, pre preacher's kids are weird. And I don't know what it was about this particular event, but we had been over the last few days just doing a lot of cleaning together and, and a lot of laughing together and a lot of just work and like letting them help define some of the projects and doing some of the things that were important to them. And so Jill and her mom were able to go to the movies and have a great time together and connect as mother and daughter because they don't get to do that enough. And me and the boys went home and we sweated and we laughed and we passed gas together and um, <laughs> just had a great time doing work together. It was like we had a hoot. It was a lot of fun. And we were effective in what we did. Now, I don't know how to make unity happen in and of itself. But I know that when I pay attention to the roles we play and to the goals we have and we're playing together and we're working together, it gets a whole lot easier for unity to be, to be happening, for harmony to be happening in our home. And there's a final piece that, that deals with just the nature of the fact that we're all messy, broken people. I'm finding that when there's a spirit of reconciliation, there's a spirit of reconciliation in the home. It makes a big difference. The idea that if we're apart, I'm going to do what I can to come back together. 
If I acknowledge you're over here and I wake up and discover I'm over here, I'm going to begin walking your way and I'm going to pray that you begin walking mine. It's a good country song in that right there. Right? I'm going to try to meet in the middle. I can feel the song kind of rolling up in me, all right? That's the goal. When there's a reconciling spirit, I sense distance. And rather than waiting on you to do all the movement, I'm going to start meeting in the middle. I'm going to start heading towards the middle. I don't know how you make unity happen. But I know when there's a reconciling spirit at work in each of the individual players in the home, I feel like your feelings are hurt. It looks like you've had a bad day. Did I do something? You know the beautiful picture of this for me in our Bibles in Genesis chapter 33, verse 4. Jacob and Esau have been apart for, for years. Esau was mercilessly deceived by his brother Jacob. Jacob stole from his brother. His brother became somewhat of an outcast. But years later, in, in, a, in, a, in a field, but, you know, out, in a field in the middle of a valley, they meet, and it looks on the surface like it's going to be all out war. But in Genesis chapter 33, verse 4, here's what the Bible says. But Esau ran to meet Jacob, and he embraced him, and he threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept together. Or it's this reconciling spirit at work. I don't think your home can be without conflict. I don't think you can do family in a way where there isn't... I don't think you can do like just two people together, let alone start adding more people and in-laws and, 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 and adult parents and carrying baggage. I don't think you can do it without conflict. So unity can't be a function of no conflict. So let's say it this way. Unity is not the absence of conflict. I think it, it happens when there's a, a reconciling spirit. I'm willing to start walking towards you even when I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm going to initiate. Again, I don't know how you make unity the goal. I know what happens, how I feel about a family when I see it happening. I know how I long for that to be mine and for everybody I love. It's way too complex of a thing. But when you start breaking it down to its component parts, I think it gets a whole lot easier to understand. And we can figure out how we can contribute to the various pieces that are likely to lead to unity. What, what is your role? Do you know your role? Is it agreed upon? I mean, as simple as in early marriage counseling, who's taking out the trash? Who's making sure the dishes get done? What role? And what are your, what are your real goals? I mean, do you have a financial goal? Or is money going to always be the constant fight? At the end of our service, you're going to meet a couple that, are, that are just, have been incredibly helpful in getting people on the same page financially. And come January, they're going to be offering three powerful experiences for anybody that wants to about around budgeting and college and just, you know, planning long-term and getting on the same page financially. So, so do you have a financial page? Or is that going to be the thing that keeps destroying the intimacy and closeness in your family? Do you have a plan for fun together? Are you working on projects together? Do, do you have goals? Do you have a reconciling spirit? I don't know how those things come together to produce unity, but I do know this, that Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And I don't know about you, but I want my house to stand. 
I think my family is worth fighting for. I want to fight for my family, not with my family. And I'm tired sometimes of feeling like we're on different pages. So Jill and I have doubled down on redefining the page, literally pulling out the paper. I sat down with my sons this week and I pulled out the calendar for 2014 and I said, here's why we're doing a calendar because I want everything that's important to you to happen this year to plan for it, to make sure it happens. I don't want to keep nodding my head at my kids and saying, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. And then three months pass. So all that is is about a goal, making sure that we're on the same page. That's not because we're super smart. It's because I believe fighting for my family is worth it. Do, Do you believe that? I do. I believe that for you if you don't yet believe it. I do. And our staff, our leaders around here, we've been praying for families in an intense period over the last five, six weeks as we've been doing Family Feud. And the level of disclosure you guys have given us through your Connect cards and the prayer requests, we're just honored that you would do that. I I think I pastor the greatest group of people in all of America. I really feel that way. And, And your concerns have touched my heart. And you have my commitment over this holiday season that we're going to continue to pray for you. And even as we go into our next message series, Christmas at the Movies, you're going to love this, we're going to be talking about ways that God wants to be at the middle of your life. He's not just your life coach encouraging you. He wants to be at the center, guiding and directing you. I think when you get that piece, my family's still hard. It's still work. But the opportunity for harmony and unity and more laughter, and more working together, it gets there. And that reconciling spirit thing, it's always hard, but it gets easier because you discover that God has already forgiven me. Who am I to withhold forgiveness? And you wrestle with that internally, and the fruit of that wrestling with the grace that God's given you begins to spill over into your family and makes a massive difference. I just want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, Discover what he wants for you. This holiday season, open his word together. In our family, we're talking a lot about it because we're going to give a significant portion of money for our family to the Christmas project where we're going to build wells in India, where we're going to be helping the Smoky Mountain Children's Home, where we're going to be helping expand our space here, and where we're making a major investment in the life of this church. So I'm using that as an opportunity to talk to my kids. What, what are you going to do this holiday season with your family? Why don't you grab out your Connect card and let's talk about that through the lens of next steps. Around here, we talk a lot about making Jesus the Lord of your life. I really do believe it's the most important decision you'll ever make. It impacts not only your life now, it impacts your eternity. So I want to give you a chance right now, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to do that to literally make him the Lord of your life. The Bible says you do that by accepting what he has done for you. You acknowledge, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me and lead my life. I want you to be in charge. We ask you to do that by checking next step A right there on the connect card you filled out earlier. And when the offering buckets come by, you put it in. You're not joining our church. You're not committing to give any money. We're not signing you up for some massive email list. All you're doing and saying, God, I want you to lead my life. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, and you can use my words, you can use your own, to in your heart to God say, Lord, I want you to be my leader. I ask you to forgive my sin, to cover my life. So how about next step, B? Would you like to get baptized? It's a big celebration around here. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. 
Another big celebration we do together is we celebrate the change that Jesus has worked in individual lives in baptism. Check the box. We'll answer your questions, get you signed up. Or next step three, uh, C, I'm going to create some time in my calendar to invest in my family's unity. Pick one of those five things. Pick one of those five things. Roles, goals, play, work, reconciling spirit. And define the page and see if you can't get everybody on it. Work together to do it. Next step, D. Anybody would say this? I have a roadblock in my relationship, but this week I'm going to work towards reconciliation. I'm going to start walking. Whether they do or not, I'm going to move towards the middle. And how about next step, E? This is our, our movement forward as a church. As a family, we're going to give to the year-end Christmas offering. And if you're going to do that, you can go ahead and start doing that. Some of you did last week. We'll give you an update next week and every week after where we are on that. And together, we're going to make a big splash here in this church and literally around the world. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I know it's your will that families be in harmony, that husbands and wives walk together in unity. And God, I'm grateful for you and your word that begins to show us some of the things we can do to bend towards unity. God, I pray that Jesus would be Lord in marriages, that Jesus would be Lord with parents, Jesus would be Lord with students, that Jesus would be Lord with in-laws and extended family relationships. God, this holiday season, I pray that we would fight for our families. Lord, there are some right now that are accepting you as their Lord and Savior for the very first time. They're declaring, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I want you to be the Lord the leader of my life. God, we lift up all of this to you. Thank you for the opportunity to come together as a church and celebrate your great gift of dying and being resurrected for us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.